messy, it's costly, but it's worth it. And I was thinking about um, this interesting thing. I may have shared this once before. If you've heard it, you know, just pretend like it's new. But um, when, when my daughter, our daughter Carmen was young, she and Teresa were doing like some craft stuff, and I saw this forbidden object in our home. It was glitter. Yeah, I, I had made this ruling, you know, executive ruling, there will be no glitter in this home. Boom. Let it be written. Well, it wasn't written, <laughs> and it wasn't followed, and it was just me being goofy because it was really cool when I saw the project they were working on. I mean, yeah, it was messy, but the outcome was really, really cool. And that's how grace is. You know, it can be real messy. It can get down in the carpet of your life, and you can't get it all out, you know. But it's totally worth the mess when you see the end product. And that's really what we're going to see today in these three stories about grace. God's relentless, passionate, powerful, life-changing grace. So Luke 15, and these are familiar stories about three things that are lost and recovered. So we're going to start off uh, in verse 4. And Jesus, if you have one of those Bibles that has everything in red, everything's in red. This is all Jesus talking to us. Verse 4 of Luke 15. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Jesus is talking to the religious leaders here, and it's really interesting because the, the idea of a shepherd, you know, this role in their, in their culture was really a low-class role. And to suggest that the, the religious leaders should have some sort of role that's similar to these lowly shepherds is amazing. That makes the Christmas story that much cooler, right? When the angel appears to the shepherds, right? But anyway, it's, it's this low-class thing. But the, the religious leaders should know that God calls himself a shepherd. And if God is the absolute highest, then they shouldn't be so concerned about their personal reputations. God says he's our shepherd in many places. And he's called a shepherd by us as well. And in this story here, God pursues the sheep that has wandered off, and then he rejoices when it's found. And today there are two ways that we need to apply this. The first is to receive grace, and the second is to give grace. And in each of these stories, I think you can see how that's possible. So what does it look like for us? Maybe thinking about the giving grace part of it. We know that Jesus left heaven and came and pursued us. I think for us, part of this idea is to leave the safety of the 99, the comfort, the familiar surroundings, and go outside of our little group. And I have to tell you, Sunday mornings is probably the worst time for this. We have people consistently who come in here, and the only time they get greeted is at the official greeting spaces, you know, and if there's an official time in the service. Those of us who are in the 99, if you will, need to stop it. We need to get out of the security and safety of our little sheep pen 
get out of our little circle, at least for the first five minutes before and after the service, and look for people who are not in a group. That's absolutely what Jesus would do. Always looking for the one that's isolated. And sometimes that means then that when you leave those 99, who's going to take care of them? Well, there will be another shepherd, but there's also this thing about, you know, we are both sheep and shepherds. Sheep at some point, if you're following Jesus, you need to become somewhat responsible for feeding yourself, for caring for yourself, for cleaning up after yourself. Because we're not just sheep, we are shepherds. It means that maybe you lose some relational capital with the 99. You might even make one of the 99 upset. You, you totally ignored me. I walk, you walked right past me. Well, that's because we were walking to the person that was by themselves, you know? And you guys are connected, so get over it, you know? <laughs> we need to be that way to just really reach out and love the 99. So that's a Sunday morning thing. That's an everyday thing in our lives as we walk with people. So yeah, is it messy? Yeah. Is it costly? Yeah. Is it worth it? Ask the sheep that's been rescued. Let's go on to the lost coin. Verse 8. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So in this story, God pursues the coin, if you will, and he rejoices when it's been found. And that's what grace does. Grace, if you look in this, grace is willing to turn everything upside down to find what's been lost. Grace shines a light into the darkness and exposes it. And that's messy, <laughs> It's costly, but boy, is that worth it. Because this, this lost coin is once again available to its wise owner, been reunited. And then the story of the lost son, or often called the prodigal son, the one that we probably resonate with the most because it's a person, and it's longer, and there's a lot of detail. And we're going to read a good chunk of this, so join with me, if you would, in Luke 15, verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together. All he had set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, 
Bring the best robe and put it, on his, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was lost and dead and, alive, and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. That is a story of grace. God pursuing us. One of the most significant things that happens in this story is that grace forgives the I wish you were dead wound. I mean, think about this. The, the son goes to his father. His father's completely alive, completely healthy. He's even able to run. And the son says, you know, I can't wait till you're dead. Give me my stuff now. Can you imagine? And then goes off. There's no plan for reunification here. He's just gone. Grace forgives that deep wound, that personal wound. And grace endures the physical cost. The father had no obligation whatsoever to give this to his son. Literally, half of everything he owned was now gone. But he gave it to him. And the father gave the son the freedom to choose, but he was consistently watching, hoping. And when he saw his son, he, he ran. He pursued his son. And again, culturally, we don't get this. I mean, that seems normal to us. Of course, you're going to run to be reunited with your, your lost child. People of status and importance, elderly wise people never ran. It was completely undignified. But here we have a picture of God running to pursue a lost child. Now, it's not the end of the story. We won't read it, but Jesus goes on to talk about the older son who is kind of judgmental. He gets upset at his dad for being so forgiving and having so much grace. And sometimes grace will do that. It's going to upset the judgmental people around us who are going to say, that person doesn't deserve that. Sometimes this older brother figure, and maybe that's us at times, I know it is me, we say, you know what? I've, I've done better than that person. I can't believe God's blessed them so much. That's what the older son's saying. Sometimes these older brothers get more concerned about rules and their own reputations than they do about the reality that a broken person has returned back to God. Is that grace messy? <laughs> yeah, just a little. Is it costly? Yeah. But is it worth it? Ask the child that's been reunited with that. So these are three stories of restoration, three stories of, of pursuit, encounter, embracing, and celebration because of God's grace that is greater. Now, we could, we could say, well, it sounds like it's really a good idea then to, to just go off and get as lost as you possibly can, right? I mean, then the celebration's going to be awesome. Everybody's going to love it. Now, Paul talks about that in Romans 6. We aren't going to read it, but jump into Romans 6, the first part of that. If you're thinking that, jump in there and see how Paul says, no, 
Do we go on sinning so that grace can increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live it any longer? Don't you know when we were baptized into Christ, we were baptized into the death and burial and resurrection of Christ. And when we came up, we are new people. We're not supposed to be involved in sin. Now, it doesn't mean that we're sinless, but it does mean that we sin less and less and less. And we need to remember that everybody needs God's grace. If you've seen a person on this planet, that person needs God's grace, and that includes the one you see in the mirror. You can't contain grace. It blows past barriers. It's anything but tame. It runs free, and it's offered for free, but it isn't free. There was a cost. Is grace costly? Yeah. In our case, that cost is, and you know this, that we had to be bought back. Redeemed is the word. Ephesians 1, 7 says that we've been redeemed by Christ. It means something that is now in the possession of someone else needs to be bought back, and that's every one of us. We were bought back from the evil one when Jesus gave his life for us, and we said yes to that. And the cost was Jesus' life. What Jesus did on the cross is greater than anything that you've done that's wrong. It's greater than anything that's been done to you that was wrong. Because God's grace has the power to make things new. In the week one video that you'll be watching uh, in your life groups, there's a quick summary here. I just want to share some words. Grace is powerful enough to erase your guilt. It's big enough to cover your shame, real enough to heal your relationships, strong enough to hold you up when you're weak, sweet enough to cure your bitterness, satisfying enough to deal with your disappointments, beautiful enough to redeem your brokenness, you may have given up on grace, but grace has not given up on you. That's powerful. We sing a song sometimes called Scandal of Grace, and the worship team did a great job today. A lot of stuff just leaning into God's grace and love. This song called Scandal of Grace says, Grace, what have you done? Murdered for me on that cross. Accused in absence of wrong, my sin washed away in your blood. Too much to make sense of it all. I know that your love breaks my fall. The scandal of grace, you died in my place so my soul will live. And we like that, don't we? Thank you for that grace, Father. Paul Zahn said, grace is a love that has nothing to do with you, the beloved. It has everything and only to do with the lover. Grace is irrational in the sense that it has nothing to do with weights and measures. It has nothing to do with my intrinsic qualities or so-called gifts. It reflects a decision on the part of the giver, the one who loves, in relation to the receiver, the one who is loved, that negates any qualifications the receiver may personally hold. Grace is one-way love. I love that definition. Grace is one-way love. Grace is messy. Grace is costly. And grace is worth it because it shows that people are worth it. Let's check this out. I had stabbed him 22 times. Every time I looked in the mirror, all I could see was a monster. He had Lay's disease that would be terminal. I know at that moment, okay, he's gonna rape me. And she said he didn't make it. There are plenty of people who can understand the concept of grace, but they still underestimate the greatness of grace in their own lives. 
I couldn't grasp that concept, God forgives. I can't tell my children. I begged God. I didn't feel safe anywhere. Grace is best and most fully understood by way of experience. The treasures that I have discovered most about God were in the midst of the darkest moments. Grace is greater than my sin, my shatteredness, my brokenness. It is the power that I don't have. My precious Heavenly Father just took it from me. You may have given up on grace, but grace has not given up on you. Grace is still greater. So those are four people that you will see their stories over the next five weeks in your life group. Um, again, powerful stuff. That brings us to this question. Uh, it's really probably for me as much as anybody. In fact, it is for me as much as anybody. Am I devoted to messy, costly, life-changing grace? Devoted means there's a formal dedication, almost like a vow. There's an internal motivation that comes only from experiencing this messy, costly, incredible, life-changing grace first ourselves. Because after we experience God's incredible grace, then we're much more likely to extend it to others. And see, that's what the song Scandal of Grace says in the chorus. It says, oh, to be like you. Grace, you've done all these amazing things. I love all of that. But wow, I need to be like you. To be like God means we give the same undeserved grace to others that we've experienced ourselves. And to be honest, if you cling to grace and act like it's only for you, you're, you're just a baby. <laughs> and when I do that, I need to grow up. I wonder if people around me are thankful for the grace that I extend to them. And I have to be real honest, as with a lot of things, I am much better at extending grace in public than I am to my own family. Can I get a witness? <laughs> and for some of you, the, the first person you need to extend grace to is yourself. You know, our first core value here at Discover is grace. And this is what it says. No one is beyond the reach of God's grace. Grace is the outflowing of God's unconditional love and mercy is offered to everyone and must be accepted individually. So our first core value is grace, but is that what we're known for? Is that what I'm known for? Some of you are old enough um, to remember Jeffrey Dahmer, he was a sick man whose, whose actions made people sick. I mean, the stuff that he did was just horrible. Some of you also know that a minister named Roy Ratliff was asked to go and share the gospel with him in prison. And Rat, Ratliff honestly was pretty reluctant, but he went and he visited him and he shared the good news of Jesus. And he began to see God's grace change this man. And Jeffrey Dahmer accepted Jesus and was baptized. And I think for most of us, we say, well, is that really possible? I mean, is God's grace really that big? Can God really give, forgive that much? In the book, Karis, God's Scandalous Grace for Us, 
Preston Sprinkle writes, Divine grace is God's relentless and loving pursuit of his enemies who are unthankful, unworthy, and unlovable. Grace is not just God's ability to save sinners, but God's stubborn delight in his enemies, yes, even the creepy ones. Grace means that despite our filth, despite our odd addiction to food, drink, sex, porn, pride, self, money, comfort, and success, God desires to transform us into real ingredients of divine happiness. See, when we begin to understand and experience God's grace, we begin to see people the way that Jesus does. Not just for who they are right now, but for who grace can change them to become. And because of Jesus, God's grace is truly big enough to make, any, make room for anyone who turns to him. When I was youth minister here, we used to do this thing called the Midwinter Retreat, and we, we went to this place called Bear Creek, and it's not open for this anymore, but you used to do tobogganing. And uh, it was an awesome, horribly dangerous thing to do, but it was so much fun. But to get from the bottom up to the top, we, uh, we would pile in an old beer truck, like it used to be used for deliveries, and they never changed the paint on it, it just still had the beer thing on the side. But they, they would pack as many people into this truck as they could in the back of this van truck thingy, and they'd put up this little chain like that was going to stop anybody um, from falling out. But uh, it was so funny because you would get packed in there, and then there'd be like 12 people, you know, who were ready, and you're like, ah, oh, we'll make room for you, come on in, and you're just like dying, and wow, there's no room, but there was. There was always room for one more. And that's what we need to say. We need to say there's always room for one more because that's what God says. His grace is so big, he says, bring that last one. Come on in. That's the whole story of God's interaction with humanity is to bring people in. And what's cool, again, is when you experience grace when you receive it, then you begin to give it. And what's even more cool is the more of it you give, the more of it you have. One more reading from God's scandalous grace from us. Grace is a bit like a roller coaster. It makes us scream in terror and laugh uncontrollably at the same time. But there aren't any harnesses on this ride. We're not in the driver's seat, and we did not design the twists and turns. We just get on board. Grace brings us back into contact with the children we once were and still are. Children who loved to ride roller coasters, to smile and yell and throw up our hands in the air. Grace, in other words, is terrifyingly fun, and like any ride worth standing in line for, it is worth coming back to again and again. In fact, God's one-way love may be the only ride that never gets old, the only ride we thankfully never outgrow, a source of inexhaustible hope and joy for an exhausted world. Today, right now, God is pursuing every person on the planet, each one of us. And maybe you've never received God's grace to move you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, to, to move from being lost to being found, and you can do that today. You can come forward and talk to us. We'll pray with you and walk you through what that looks like. Maybe you've received God's grace for salvation, but you honestly don't feel worthy well guess what you're not <laughs> neither am I that's why it's grace lean into it embrace it 
lean into your father's loving arms. He truly cares for you. He pursues you. He's pursuing you right now. Maybe you're great with the salvation piece and you're really good with leaning into God's grace, but the extending it to other people is not exactly where you've been and you know you need to extend it more. I know I do. Wherever you are, God is pursuing your heart and saying, follow me, come with me on this wild roller coaster ride of life. Don't worry, I'm in charge. Just put your arms up and have fun. Whatever God is calling you to do today, would you please respond as we stand, as we sing.